the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Monday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is to provide the phone call, 340-9585. I forgot the area code. It's 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email uh, questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car on this beautiful day, I've been stuck in the office all day, but I understand it's gorgeous out there. All you have to do is uh, use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to the studio producer. Let me explain why being a beautiful day is so important to me. I have been this weekend in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, teaching at a men's conference with uh, a bunch of other Calvary chapels and their pastors. And it was bone-chilling cold. We were supposed to go into the Santa Cruz Mountains to a retreat center. There was so much snow, and it's really, really unusual for there to be snow in this area. But there was so much snow, they had to close the roads. The power went out, and praise the Lord, they decided, well, since we can't get out there, we'll just do it in the church. And we had power, and I was warm. But every time we went outside, it was just absolutely bone-chilling cold. And so to wake up today uh, was a blessing to see the sun out and feel some warmth. We had a great time with the men. I I really praise the Lord. I I think uh, the messages that I I gave were very well received. It was a great response. It's always neat to be around people that you don't know, other churches, and, and talk to the pastors there. So we had a really, really good time. And in spite of the cancellation of the trip to the, the, the retreat center in the mountains, um, lots of the men showed up. And uh, on Friday night and Saturday night, uh, we had uh, special services for the for the men. Um, uh, I taught out of Second Kings chapter four on Friday night, Second Kings chapter five on Saturday night, and then I was away from our church yesterday as I was asked to stay and give the message at Calvary Chapel Fremont uh, in the Bay Area, and I had the privilege of doing that. Hey, I just got to say this, you know, uh, Tanya, a frequent caller from San Leandro, uh, she drove down, and, and her and her husband Carlos were there. It was so great to see them. They surprised me, and of course, uh, Jocelyn, uh, our on our worship team, Jocelyn had a concert that she was doing uh, in the Bay Area in San Jose, and so she came up, and I got to see her at church yesterday, and Pastor Elaine sort of went with me because I can't travel alone and um, and so we just had a really, really good time. I'm tired. We got home really late last night. 
but uh, it was a great, great time. Pastor Ken did a great job here yesterday. I would encourage all of you to to go online at calvarysa.com and watch the message. I was able to watch it first service. We were two hours earlier, uh, but since my body was still on Texas time, uh, I was up and able to watch first service before I went uh, out and did, uh, you know, at, at our conference. So it was just a great, great weekend. Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we've got our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies. You can make it a family affair. Uh, Lachelle Ortiz will be teaching the ladies. And uh, if Lachelle is teaching, it is going to be funny, but it's also going to be really, really deep. She's always a blessing. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. And ladies, if you can't get here in person, you can watch that live stream at calvarysa.com. Pastor Ken teaches the men. And then our two youth pastors, Chris and Matthew, uh, are going to be teaching the youth. So you can bring your whole family. We've got child care for the really younger ones. Uh, it'll be a really, really good time. Well, let's get to some questions. And please forgive me. My voice is tired after the weekend. Uh, I'm tired after the weekend, but let's do the best that we can. I'm going to start off with kind of a bummer question. This one comes from John. Uh, He says, Pastor, I want to feel guilty about white privilege, but it doesn't feel sincere to me. How can I be genuine and repent? Now, John, I want you to listen very closely to me. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says, and I'm going to give you the Ron-inspired version. It says that you were born when you were born at the time and where you were born And I would add who you were born in order to make it easier for you to find God. So you're not a mistake. There's nothing wrong with being white any more than we would say there's something wrong with being black or brown or Asian or anything else. There's nothing wrong. This is a nonsensical, crazy, woke world that we live in. And they're looking to make white people feel guilty about something that we have no control over. Now, John, if you are not a racist, if you are not prejudiced, if you love people because the heart of Jesus Christ lives in you, well, then you don't have to feel guilty about anything. And I think we need, we Christians, we white people need to start pushing back a little bit. I had somebody, oh, this has been many months now, but on this program, asking about white privilege. And and, uh, I want to tell them, in fact, I did tell them that that, um, you know, I have two boys that were raised um, by an interracial couple. The world would say my boys are black. Uh, They were harassed by police uh, unnecessarily for no reason at all, our oldest son in particular, because he was older and he had a nice car that he drove. And I think the police just assumed he was selling drugs or doing something. But they stopped him often, and they never gave him a ticket because he never did anything wrong. And I spoke to the people at the police department and said, you need to stop this harassment. And, and I understand that there are difficult things that people of color go through. That if my son was completely white, if he, didn't, if, if he wasn't identified by this world as being black because, because his mother is black, um, then, then I, I understand that he wouldn't, wouldn't have been stopped. But because they stopped him, they harassed him. What am I supposed to be angry? Oh, this is white privilege. It's not a privilege not to be stopped in your car when you're doing nothing wrong. It's not a privilege to live in a country. I'm sorry, it's not a a problem to be uh, uh, born in a country or living in a country uh, where, uh, at least until recently, the majority of the population was white. And we who are Christians, and this is a great opportunity, instead of getting angry, John, this is a great opportunity to witness to people. You know, God sees only two kinds of people, saved and unsaved. Which one are you? But this nonsense about white privilege is something that we have to push back on. We can't feel guilty for being who God made us to be. What we ought to feel guilty about is if we're racist or if we're prejudiced, if we harbor ill feelings toward other people, then we need to feel guilty. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit and repent. I've said this many times on this program in response to to other questions, but a a Christian simply cannot be prejudiced. If you are a born-again Christian, if you, you identify as a Christian, then 
You need to repent of any and all prejudice. Romans 5, 5 says God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. God's love for other people lives in us. All we have to do is have enough faith to make a, a love withdrawal for difficult people. So, John, please, don't listen to this nonsense, this ridiculous, woke nonsense. And instead, simply be the voice of God, the arms of God, the heart of God to anybody and everybody that you meet. I often say that if the shoe was turned and we were saying that blacks have privilege, we'd be accused of being racist. You know, this whole idea about white privilege comes primarily from white people. So just know who you are in Christ. One of the messages that I gave, in fact, the, the message I gave yesterday at church in Fremont, California, was uh, that Jesus is crazy about you. He's crazy about you. And what you need to do is um, um, embrace his love for you. And once you do that, then you stop having to deal with these kind of things. But, John, don't let this world brainwash you into thinking that there's something wrong with who God made you to be and where and when you live in this world. Those kinds of questions are so frustrating because we deny what we know to be true. When somebody says that, say, I'm a Christian, should I feel guilty about that too? I love Jesus. And just settle at that. Rest in God's love. Here's a question from Donald. Pastor Ron, what does it mean that some are born eunuchs because they or some are eunuchs because they were born that way and others were made that way? Well, Donald, in the ancient world, um, um, Daniel and his three friends are probably the most famous examples, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, um, they were captured by Babylon. And because they were the best and the brightest, they were placed into the service as very young men, probably 12 years of age or thereabouts. Uh, they were put in the service of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. They had to be retrained, their minds sort of, of uh, uh, brainwashed into the ways of, of Babylon. Um, and, of course, we know that Daniel and the others refused uh, to lose their identity as Jews. Um, and um, to go into the king's service, they would have been made eunuchs. In other words, they were castrated. And that was the way that they could be trusted by the king around uh, his harem, um, and, and there would be no worries um, in, in the, uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, I'm sorry, the book of Genesis, rather. We find that, that Potiphar, um, who was the captain of the, the king's bar, uh, guard, the, the, the pharaoh's guard. Um, he was, without any doubt, he was a eunuch, castrated, to be trusted by the king um, around the women in his life. So that was simply the way they did things. You know, we think our world is tough. Boy, that was a really, really tough work. But when he says some were born that way, there are some people that are born without a sex drive. We live in a fallen world. That's certainly not God's um, uh, plan. But we live in a fallen world, and that's one of the effects of sin. So some are just born without a sex drive, um, and others were, were actually converted uh, by kings in the ancient world. So that's all it means. And um, certainly we have some notable people that were served, uh, that served the Lord uh, with notable service uh, in the Lord. And... Um, they just had to endure, and they provided a lot of fruit in their lives as a result. Good question. Here's a question from Reggie. He says, the book of life with a question mark. How does one get their name in it and blotted out of it? Reggie, our name cannot be blotted out of it. In Revelation, when Jesus writes to the seven churches, he says, uh, I will never blot your name out. And people assume that when they say that, and this is just bad hermeneutics, they assume that, well, if he makes a promise, I will never blot your name out, then there are some names he does blot out. But that's not what it says. He will never blot your name out of the book of life. 
Now, the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, is what we're talking about here specifically. It is a book that contains the names of the people who belong to Jesus Christ. Reggie, if you are a born-again Christian, you are in that book. Now, there's other books, and I love this, Reggie. That's why I'm going to add this to my answer. Uh, there's, there's the book of our life, and then there's a Lamb's book of life. Once our name gets transferred from the book of our life to the Lamb's book of life, then then we're going to be in heaven. And I love the fact that the book of life, uh, all the incidents in my life, all of the details, and these aren't literal books. God doesn't need a book. But, but um, uh, you know, all these details, all the sin, all of the horror I've caused, um, I did all those things and I'm guilty. But Jesus' blood covers all of those sins. There is a, a, a classical Christian song uh, called The Bloodstained Pages of, of Jesus. And the, the Bloodstained Pages are the book of my life or Reggie, your life. And yet when we are born again, all of the accusations, remember the devil makes accusations night and day against us before the throne of God. Night and day. He never stops. He never stops lying. But Jesus, as those accusations are recorded as the facts of who we are and the horrible things that we've done emerge, the reality is that they can't make a case because every page in the book of Ron Arbaugh's life is covered by the bloodstains of Jesus Christ. And the only conclusion is, hey, these charges can't stand. And of course, as Isaiah said, come let us reason together, though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And uh, that's all, uh, Reggie, because of what Jesus has done. So you get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life by being a born-again believer. Those are the people that are going to be in heaven forever. And your name is written in there. Romans 8.29 is one of, one of the, the great promises that's so very personal for me. Because Romans 8.29, um, my paraphrase of it is that no matter what I've done, I couldn't make Jesus change his mind about loving me. I tried. God knows I tried. But he set his love upon me once and for all. And because he did, then I am as secure as I can possibly be in the arms of Jesus. So you get your name in it by being born again, and it can never, if you're truly born again, Reggie, it can never be blotted out of that book. You know, one of the things that I said to the church yesterday in uh, Fremont was that um, I, I made him, right at the very beginning, I said, I said, those of you take notes, write this down. This is the whole punchline of the, the message. Write this down. Jesus is crazy about me. And they giggled and wrote it down. At least I hope they wrote it down. But the whole message yesterday from the Song of Songs was Jesus is crazy about you. And when you really understand that, when you receive that into your heart, then all you have to do is rest assured that your name is written in the book of life. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Michelle. Um, Pastor Ann, what do you mean exactly when you say sometimes the power to heal is present during a service? Um, Michelle, I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm certainly not promising any healing. But there are times, and in, in, uh, it happens whether it's a Friday or a Sunday, uh, a Wednesday, it doesn't really matter. But um, there, there are times when the Holy Spirit will speak to my heart. Uh, sometimes he'll speak to my heart before I ever get to the, to the church. Um, in my preparation for the, for the study, uh, he'll speak to my heart. Other times, uh, he'll give me a word of knowledge um, while I'm while I'm preaching, or sometimes just when I'm giving the invitation. I'll give you an example. On Friday nights, we always close our services with prayer, and by that I mean we have the the men and women from our pastors' discipleship class and and our pastors and their wives standing in the front of the sanctuary, and then we close. We give people the opportunity to come and be prayed for. Uh, to receive Christ, uh, to, to, to repent, to do what, whatever is on their heart, whatever their need is. Um, wherever two or more are gathered together uh, in agreement, then, then Jesus is going to hear our prayers. 
And uh, so they'll come forward and they'll have somebody pray for them. Well, before I give that invitation for people to come up, there are times when the Lord will say, there's the power to heal here. And um, every time he's done that, Michelle, somebody's been healed. Not everybody gets healed, that's for sure. Um, That's the purview of a sovereign God. However, every single time somebody gets healed, sometimes it's something big. Uh, Sometimes it's just some small ailment or something that somebody's concerned about. But every time I get reports, Pastor Ron, I was healed last night or I was healed. We have a Saturday morning prayer and sometimes they'll come and they'll be so grateful. They'll want to thank God uh, and they'll they'll share with others that that I was healed last night when Pastor Ron said this. And it's nothing that Pastor Ron does. It's not me moving the spirit. It's just God in his wonderful grace and his glorious mercy wanting to meet us where we are. Let me give you a good example, Michelle. Um, we had a, um, a skit for our ladies' retreat, and Paula will talk to you about the ladies' retreat. We're only a week out, um, um, two, two week, or one week from Thursday. Um, but we had a skit, and one of the ladies in the skit, she had to come running up the aisle as a part of her role in the skit, and she came running up the aisle, and my first thought was, Dear God, three weeks ago, she couldn't have done that. And it was in a Sunday message. I was giving a message about the beggar at the gate, beautiful in the book of Acts. And I said to the church, I said, you know, this guy was jumping for joy and and praising the Lord and holding on to Peter and John for dear life. So thrilled at what God had done. And, uh, and so he was just jumping up and down for joy. And at the end of that first service, that, that Sunday, uh, she comes running up to me. In fact, it was just at the beginning of second service. We have about a 25-minute break between services. And, and we were just getting ready to start our first worship song. And she comes sort of running up. And she says, Pastor Ron, look. And she started jumping up and down. Now, this is not a young woman. She's younger, younger than me, of course. But, I mean, this isn't a teenager. And she starts jumping up and down. And I didn't realize, it just didn't dawn on me what was going on. But I've known that she hasn't been able to walk for a very, very long time. I mean, she could get around, but she couldn't put her foot flat on the ground. And she was constantly in pain. And she'd had a bunch of of uh, surgeries and complications from those surgeries. And and I finally realized what she, she's jumping up and down. And, and she was healed. And she was healed instantly that day. And um, that's why she could run up the aisle during our ladies' skit. So that's all I mean. It's just, Michelle, when the Lord puts something on my heart, um, I want to do something today. He said, the power to heal is here. And I always tell people not everybody's going to get healed, but God will heal those people who, when they're healed, will use their new strength to glorify God. You can't you can't sit around and do nothing. When God touches you, we're accountable to respond by faith in obedience to that touch. So, Michelle, that's all I mean. Um, um, it happens uh, infrequently. Um, there are times when it's um, um, happened a couple, three times a month. But uh, certainly this isn't something that we do every service. I want to be very, very careful about misrepresenting the Lord. And so I, 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 I wait until I am really, really certain that that's what the Lord has spoken to my heart. Thank you, Michelle. Linda says, I know prosperity teaching is wrong, but that it doesn't affect salvation. Why should we be concerned about it if it doesn't affect salvation? Well, Linda, the way that the, the reason we should be concerned is because prosperity teaching, that health and wealth, name it and claim it, junk. Uh, God wants everybody to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Uh, that junk destroys lives. I cannot tell you over the years how many times people have come to me having been so damaged by that false teaching that they can barely trust the Lord again. They're afraid to say certain things. They they don't want to believe certain things because they've been made to feel that if God didn't heal them, then there's something wrong with them. And predictably, they come up with the conclusion that either something is wrong with me or God isn't being faithful. God's word isn't true. And uh, and that's why 
prosperity teaching has to be dealt with in the church. That's why we need to be concerned about it. I want you to think about the, the literal thousands of people in those churches, and they're, they're usually big churches, and they're big churches because they tell people what they want to hear, even though it's not true. Um, there are a lot of people in there who never get to meet the real Jesus. Again, it doesn't mean they're not saved, but there are also a lot of people in, in those churches who aren't truly born again. So that's why we uh, have to deal with it, um, have to be concerned about it, because it damages people's relationship with God because a false Jesus is being presented. To tell somebody that God wants him to be healed, all you have to do is have enough faith or give enough money, name it and then claim your, your healing, it is absolute nonsense. You know, Linda, one of the silliest things that you hear over and over from these prosperity types is, well, uh, I know I'm healed. I'm, I accept that by faith, but my healing just hasn't manifested itself yet. Now, Linda, what that means is you're not healed. And to be in denial of that makes no sense at all. So, Linda, thank you. I hope that makes sense. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left for your calls and questions. The phones are quiet. We'd love to have you dial us up. It's 210-340-9585. Or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Linda, one more uh, comment regarding uh, your question. You know, um, it's so important to, to have the fruitful, abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. It's so important that we know who the real Jesus is. And the prosperity teachers are preaching a false Jesus. They're preaching a false Jesus. And they get crowds because that's what we want to believe. You know, we want to hear about miracles. We want to uh, to, to, to believe that God is going to take care of us and never we're never going to have any difficulties. And he'll always provide everything that we need. And, and Linda, what they do to the body of Christ is, is um, morally reprehensible. And all of them, and I'm saying literally all of them, have been corrected. There's no excuse for being ignorant. And yet people still are drawn in to those false promises. And and very, very often, those people end up walking away from the Lord altogether because God has disappointed them. I think of Jesus coming in into Jerusalem during what we call the triumphal entry. And everybody's shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, they, they, they knew that their Messiah was coming. They just didn't know who it was. Now, there were a lot of people who thought it might be Jesus because of the things that he'd been doing. But when Jesus came in, amid all the excitement about the Messiah, this is the Messiah, the truth is they didn't want that Messiah. They were disappointed that it was Jesus. And that's what prosperity teaching is all about. I'm so disappointed in you, God, because I'm not rich. And so what we do is we do the name it and claim it nonsense. Linda, it's it's very important. And all of us who love the Lord and who love his word ought to be concerned about it. Let's go to Matthew from Cibolo on line one. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Papa Ron. Welcome back. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, as much as we missed you yesterday, we had such a a tree with Pastor Ken speaking <laughs> into the word. And I just, you know, I, I felt so comforted, you know, because sometimes I think about, oh, you know, Papa Ron's going to leave us one day. And, you know, but then I'm thinking, like, Pastor Ken is taking right over. He's, we're not going to miss a step, you know. So, <laughs> but 
I, I also wanted to ask you or just maybe provide some insight on uh, uh, his del- it was just such a delight, such a treat yesterday. Uh, quite frankly, myself and my wife and, you know, my in-laws were there. They were just all crying. We were talking about it after church and, um, you know, not having a father growing up, being in prison my whole life, you know. And and I always thought to myself, like, I would just wish I had a dad. And then once I, my, my life was reconciled with Jesus almost nine years ago, it's just been such a blessing. And I'd just like for you to talk about, I know you didn't, you said you didn't, have a great example of a fathership growing up, and um, and it took 40 years, you know. So I guess you know if you can just speak to that, some of your experience, and you know just what you thought about yesterday's uh, Bible study from Pastor Ken. Yeah, thank you, Matthew. I'll do that. You know, one of the reasons I love Ken so much, and Ken is is my son. Just uh, you know, people when when people like you, Matthew, call in and call me Papa. Or some of the people think, there's a lot of people think that's weird. Why would they call him Papa? Well, there's a lot of uh, men who didn't have, and women, by the way, who didn't have uh, godly father figures at all. And, and we, we crave that father figure. And the church is supposed to be a family. And, and so I show up and there's, there's a father figure in your life. Um, and, and because we love one another, then, then the church really does become family. And it's really important. So when I say Ken is my son, um, he, he, my wife did not give birth to him. Now, he's the same age as my sons, but um, my wife did not give birth to him. But, but Ken and I are closer than, um, than I am with my own sons. Now, I love my sons to death, but, but I'm with Ken all the time. And uh, one of the things I love the most about him is that when I step out, you know, I could say, uh, Ken, I need you to fill in for me on Sunday. Uh, and it's three services. It's it's not an easy day. He could pick an easy message or he could pick a, uh, a message where um, everybody would be excited. And But you know what? Ken almost always picks a hard message. And part of the reason I think he does that is, is that... Um, um, he knows that's what I would do. And so yesterday his message was on the separated life. I got to listen to it uh, first service yesterday. Um, and I was just so blessed. Uh, um, the separated life, it's an important thing that we need to know. So he could have taught John 3.16 or he, he could have taught Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Uh, but instead, God put on his heart, um, I'm calling men and women to me. And that means you need to separate from the world. And that was really his message. And it was really, really a wonderful message. Uh, I texted him yesterday. And I don't text. I can say, hey, Siri, text uh, Ken Cruzado. But but I can't read text back. So when, when people get that, oh, Pastor Ron's texting. No, I'm not texting. But I texted him. I said, that was a wonderful message. I'm so proud of you. That's the family relationship that we have. And that's why Mama Paula uh, people call her that. You know, I had a lady on last Wednesday who was in her 80s, in her 80s. And after the message, she was talking to me and she called Paula Mama Paula. Paula's like the church mom. So it was really, really great message. And and, and that family environment is, is really important. So, um, you know, I just am so blessed by Ken. And uh, all the other guys, Pastor Juan, I've not gotten a chance yet today to listen to his message. Uh, but Friday night, uh, he killed it. I mean, I, I got so many comments and emails and phone calls or messages because my phone was off during the conference in San Francisco. But um, people would say, oh, Pastor Juan did such a great job. And I love the fact that I can leave and I've got people in the church who can teach the word and, and and people respond to it. You know, I think the thing I like the most is that when I'm gone, our attendance doesn't drop. I love that because our guys are mature Christians and sometimes it's really good to hear from a different voice. So, Matthew, thank you for that. You know, the the, the one thing I think we all have to remember is that we can't blame God for our earthly fathers or our earthly mothers. I, my father was not a particularly loving guy. 
just he they they my dad that that generation was different they were raised different you know the emotions men don't cry men are tough um that's the way my dad was now he loved me but his expressions of love didn't always feel loving i remember my dad practicing with me for an hour at times just teaching me to shake hands and he was very firm very firm. I don't mean the handshake, although that was firm also. But but I mean, Ronnie, this is the way you have to do it. Look him in the eye. And he would be critical of me as I was learning the process. No, I told you this and told you that. That was what it meant to be a man in the world apart from Christ. Fortunately, my dad is in the arms of Jesus now and he knows better. But he waited till he was on his deathbed at 84 years of age to learn that. You know, Matthew, you mentioned that uh, uh, I was almost 40 when I got saved. Uh, Actually, while I was in Fremont, uh, I celebrated uh, my 32nd year in the Lord. So um, I had a birthday of sorts, a born-again birthday of sorts while I was up there. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate the call very, very much. Phyllis wants to know, was Solomon saved? He worshipped false gods. Um, he did. I'm going to have a chance to talk about that a little bit on Wednesday night uh, here at the church, Phyllis, uh, because uh, Solomon is brought up. Uh, but, um, yeah, Solomon was saved. We, what we in New Testament Christians would understand as being saved, he's going to be in heaven. And we know that because God, in his infinite wisdom, he gave us uh, three books that were written by Solomon. And in this particular case, uh, um, you know, Proverbs was at the height of his walk with the Lord. Um, The wisdom that came only from heaven. Um, Of course, the Song of Solomon is another one that Solomon wrote. But we also, thank the Lord, have Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes was written uh, by Solomon uh, when he was at an old age, he didn't have much time left to live, um, but it was just Solomon sort of reviewing his life, thinking of all the wasted potential. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he recounts all of the things that he did, the things that he thought, the things that he hoped would bring him happiness and joy. And what he said was, look, I denied myself no pleasure. I had uh, all the answers, and yet I searched uh, even more and deeper questions. Uh, and, and then in the book of Ecclesiastes, his conclusion is, at the end of his life, the only things that matter are things that concern God. Being happy, being wealthy, um, having all kinds of pleasure. Um, he said, in the end, all of that is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Imagine trying to catch the wind in your palm and you close your palm and the wind is still not there. Well, Solomon said finding peace and satisfaction and fullness in life was impossible apart from God. And so at the end, his act of repentance was uh, everything was meaningless and, and, and that was Solomon's repentance and why we know that he's in heaven. So yes, he was guilty of false gods. He was guilty of of, uh, multiplying women and multiplying horses. Uh, He was guilty eventually of extreme arrogance. Sometimes that's what wisdom will do to you. And yet our gracious, loving God, our gracious, loving God is uh, eager to forgive, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And Solomon now is enjoying that. Hey, before I go to the next question, I meant to mention this in the first service. I hope you got to see the Jesus Revolution movie. Um, they did much better than than any Christian uh, movie is expected to do in the box office. There was over $15 million, uh, in in box office revenues. And that's kind of thrilling to us. But uh, it, it started on the 24th. It came out nation, nationally, nationwide on the 24th. Uh, and I know it's showing in theaters here. So if you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, go see it. I'd be interested in your comments. Um, if you have seen it, please feel free to call and talk about it. Uh, but it, it sort of highlights the beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement, which was sort of the vanguard. Calvary Chapel was the vanguard of the Jesus um, uh, people revolution uh, in the, the late 60s from 68 till about 71 or 2. 
um, when, when a full-blown revival, uh, a revival, by the way, that dwarfed what we've been talking about on Asbury and the things now. Now, we hope those moves of the Spirit keep going and they increase, but this was a, a revival that changed people's lives. And, uh, uh, you know, a, a bunch of hippies at that time, the lowest of the low in society. I always think of the hippies when I think of the shepherds uh, at Jesus' birth where the angelic choir appeared to them. Um, uh, that Nobody wanted anything to do with hippies. Hippies didn't want anything to do with regular people. They just sort of uh, got drugged up and, and dropped out of the world. And yet the Holy Spirit began a move of, of God there in that group of hopeless, helpless people. And he's changed the lives of untold hundreds of thousands of people in the last 50 years based on the fruit that's come from that movement. Calvary Chapel, because of our commitment to the Word of God, uh, there's uh, 1,500 or so Calvary Chapels all over the world. The movement is still going, uh, uh, even as our founding pastor, Pastor Chuck. By the way, he was played by Kelsey Grammer in the movie, and uh, Kelsey Grammer has uh, been on TVs being interviewed, uh, visibly moved by this movie. And uh, who knows, it looks like the Holy Spirit's really working on him, and we hope and pray that he got saved during the, the, the filming of this movie. Uh, but I know he loves the movie, this calls it the best thing he's ever done. Um, and, and uh, you know, God will use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, uh, the despised things. And when it comes to Calvary Chapel pastors, and I'm saying this as one of them, when it comes to us, uh, he'll use even the things that are not. And I think that's where God really specializes. So thank you for your question. Here's an anonymous question. Why did God tell Hosea to marry a prostitute? You know, being a prophet, Anonymous, was a really hard life. There was a lot of pain. You know, we always think of a, uh, the life of a prophet as somebody saying, Thus saith the Lord, and being revered and exalted by all the people. Just the opposite was true. They lived extremely difficult lives, and they were literally put to death because their message was from God and not pleasing to men. And in this particular case, God told Hosea to marry a prostitute. And the reason he said was because this is an illustration of my people Israel. So Hosea stood in the place of God in this illustration. Uh, Gomer, uh, his wife, um, stood in the place of Israel, and that's who he's talking about. And he's saying, you know, I loved Israel. I've given them everything. I've kept my promises to them. Uh, I have a wonderful plan for them. And the reality is, Gomer still wouldn't be faithful. And so the prophet was living a life that reflected the pain in the heart of God. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. I think too often we get caught up in the, well, why would God tell Hosea to marry this prostitute? Um, God is the one that the people then, and I would add the people now, are prostituting themselves in rebellion against God. And that's why God would tell Hosea to marry a prostitute. 340-9585. Here is a question, another anonymous one. Uh, he or she says, I sin constantly. I hate it, but can't seem to stop it. What am I doing wrong? I feel guilty, but don't really stop. You know, anonymous, I had this exact situation at the conference uh, that I was teaching at this weekend where uh, um, uh, um, a young man who's in leadership at a church up in the Bay Area uh, came to me privately um, during the prayer and time people were repenting yesterday. And, um, and, and he, he said the same thing. He said, you know, I, I keep sinning. There's this thing in my life. Um, and I believe the Lord gave me a word of wisdom. I think that word of uh, knowledge was, was um, I, I think it was pornography that he was talking about. But he never mentioned it. And I told him, you don't have to confess to me. And he said, you know, I hate it, but I keep doing it. And I, I, I said, are you, are you ready to be honest? And he said, yes, I need help. And I said, well, the truth is you don't hate it enough. You don't really hate it at all. Now, you hate the guilty feeling when you give in to it 
but but you don't hate it. What I would ask you to do is try to remember how much you hate it when you're feeling guilty after doing it. Remember how much you hate it before you actually do it. And he never considered that. And um, in your case, it's the same thing. You say you hate it, but because you don't stop, you don't really hate it. When you ask, what am I doing wrong? I think what you're doing is you're trying in your own strength, in your own power, willpower to overcome this. And I tell people all the time that we don't have willpower, we have won't power. And willpower is not enough. We need the power of God's Spirit. So here's what I would tell you, and I told him, this young man, the same thing yesterday. I want you to just be with Jesus. Because if you're with Jesus, when that temptation comes, you're going to come to the place where you realize that either you have to say to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for for forgiving me and promising me heaven. But right now, I'm going to do something really filthy, and I'm going to ask you to leave for a while. And then when I'm over, I'll cry. When I'm done, I'll, I'll cry and I'll tell you how sorry I am. And then you can come back. And, and as harsh as that is, as direct as that is, the reality is very straightforward. You don't hate it enough. You don't love Jesus enough. You love your sin at that moment more than you love Jesus. And while I know that smacks some people right between the eyes, that's what we're supposed to do with sin. Didn't it? Wasn't it Jesus that if your eye offends you, pluck it out? Now, he didn't mean that literally, but, but he's telling us forcefully that's how we're to deal with sin. If your hand offends you, cut it off. And that's what we have to do with these sins. We've got to say, Jesus, and this is the, the honest repentance, I tell you I hate it, but I really don't. Because honestly, if I hated it, I wouldn't do it. When you can be that honest with the Lord, that's when change will be affected. So, Anonymous, I hope that helps. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Kaylee from our email inbox. Um, she says, I work at a school in South San Antonio. The kids all come from broken or rough homes. Some days the classroom is a nightmare and I want to walk out and quit. When I applied and was hired, I was sure that it was something God put together. I've been praying and people have been praying for me. But how do I know if wanting to leave is selfish or from God telling me to get out of there? I know that God will put you in hard places so that you can learn things, but some days it feels like too much. Kaylee, this is so important, um, and this will be my last question. I didn't realize the time, that much time had gone by. Uh, Kaylee, 1 Corinthians 10.13, memorize it. Tattoo it on your brain. It says, no temptation has seized you. No test temptation, the words are interchangeable, has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under the temptation. In other words, you can overcome the, the test that you're in. So the one thing you got to know by faith is that it's never too much. Now, there's going to be days when it feels like it's too much. But those are the days when you've got to run to Jesus. And when you run to Jesus and you lay that down, you simply say, Lord, I can't deal with this, so you need to deal with it for me. Lord, I need your strength, I need your power, I need your love towards these kids. And he'll do it, Kaylee. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. These are tests. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says that it is required that every man, in your case and woman, given a trust by God, must prove faithful. And so here's the thing I know. You can't quit because if you do that, you're quitting on God. If, you, if anybody says to me, well, God told me to do this, then I tell them, look, God, if God told you to do it, then God wants you to finish it. That doesn't mean you're there forever. It just means that, that you honor your commitments. As difficult as things are, you honor your commitments. And you represent God rightly in those commitments. And you're able still to demonstrate that God loves those kids. 
but you can't quit. Too many of us quit just because it gets hard. And then the enemy whispers in her ears, well, you know, this is God telling you to quit. Well, the enemy just wants you to quit. And the minute you quit, then he's going to heap all of this condemnation on you for quitting. Because he'll say, well, you quit. When God asks you to do something, you quit. God opened this opportunity and you quit. And so God will never be able to use you again. That's the way the devil is. No matter what you do, he's going to attack from the other direction. So it's very important. And you are sure that God put this together. So now you find a way to honor the Lord in it. And you can't do it in your own strength. Philippians 2, 12 says that it is God who works uh, to both to will and to do in us. So God put this desire in your heart. He's the one who opened the door. You are sure of it. Don't doubt it now just because the devil is whispering in your ear, well, if this was really from God, these things wouldn't be happening. No, you know, in the darkest places... Kaylee, in the darkest places, that's where God puts the brightest light. So let your light so shine before men, before these kids, that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Don't let them exasperate you or frustrate you. And as you're looking at these kids who are causing you all kinds of pain, the way to focus is say, Lord, you love them. And because you love them, I need to love them. And then the power of his Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be able to do it. It won't be easy, but remember these are tests and trials and God's not setting you up to fail. He's setting you up to overcome. Thank you, Kaylee. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life, the Monday edition. Don't forget our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight here at the church at 7 o'clock. Lord willing, I will be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.